am a man. I am created to enjoy God, blessed to bless others, placed to work hard, called to crush evil, and sent to do good. I am a man. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for the staff that has worked tirelessly for the last five weeks to serve us well. We thank you for your scriptures that are giving us truth that sets us free. We thank you for your spirit that meets that truth and gives us the power and the want to do it. We pray that one final time that you'll meet us in this room this morning and stir our minds and stir our hearts and move us towards what you have for us. We pray that your scriptures will come alive this morning, that our hearts will be engaged, and then we'll go put it into action the rest of the day. In Christ's name, amen. Psalm chapter 65, we've talked about this verse before. It says, you are the hope of everyone on earth. Even those who sail on distant seas, you formed the mountains by your power. You armed yourselves with mighty strength. You quieted the raging oceans with their pounding waves. And you silenced the shouting of the nations. Those who live at the ends of the earth stand in awe of your wonders. From where the sun rises to where it sets, you inspire shouts of joy. We left Adam in a difficult situation last week. God had created Adam in his image and in his likeness to be like God and to do like God, to enjoy his wife, to enjoy the garden, to work hard, to keep it, to name the animals, to take a Sabbath. There was a lot going on. Agreed? Yes? All right. And in that perfect environment, with a mission statement of work it, keep it, love her, fill the earth with my glory and my power, take care of all of this inside of that perfect environment, was this opportunity to choose evil. If you don't remember this or you missed this lesson, God put the opportunity to choose evil so that we would also have the opportunity to choose him. Because with no other choice, it would be hard to choose. We can't choose God unless there's an alternative choice. And in order to have a relationship with God, which is what we were created for, there had to be a way to not choose him so that we could choose him. Did you follow that? That's kind of deep theology for this morning. And so of all the created beings, we as mankind get the opportunity on a daily basis to wake up and choose the creator who has already chosen us. Before the foundations of the world, before we ever screwed up or before we ever did anything good, he says, Jay, I love you. You're going to come in 1971. You'll be born to Greg and Ruth Huffman. I know your whole life, and I've already chosen you. Will you choose me? That's the opportunity on every given day is to have that kind of relationship with the creator who gave me life. Inside of that garden, there was this opportunity to eat from a tree called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Up until this point, Adam and Eve only knew good. Don't miss that point. God had created on six consecutive days everything that we call creation. And at the end of every one of those days, God said, that's good. That's good. That's good. How many? That's three. That's good. That's four. That's good. That's five. And at the end of day six, he said, that's very good. And for the first time, for the first time in the story of man, which is also the story of us, we now have a scenario where we look at it and Eve chose to eat, chose to receive evil, chose to introduce evil into the garden, and Adam joined her. If you missed that lesson that was last week called the crush evil. So instead of crushing evil, Adam was being apathetic and he watched her move towards evil and actually moved with her towards evil. And then when she participated in evil, he joined her. 
Remember one of the things we said last week was the challenge of a man is we're often silent when our voice is needed. That we're often silent when the very time where we should speak up and say, no, God has called our family to something different than that. And to take the lead and to take dominion and to have the ownership and the responsibility that he gave us for the places that he's placed us. And in that moment, God, the creator, came walking in the garden. If you missed this, we ironed it out for about an hour last week. He came walking in the garden looking for his creation, wanting to have communion with them, wanting to have fellowship, wanting to share some time with them. But instead of sharing with them, they were hiding from him. Instead of sharing and enjoying God, which is why we were created, they were hiding from the God they were to enjoy. You ever been there? Has there ever been a season of your life where I've been hiding for a season, not just a day, but for days on end? And you know that the Creator is calling you? You can almost hear Him walk by. You may even like know that He's saying, Jay, come out of the bushes, and yet we stay. And it was so beautiful last week. You were unable to see this, and if you did see this, then you didn't do what I asked you to do, which was close your eyes. So, I'm just, just saying, some of you need to come out of the bushes for that. But at the end of last week, I had the opportunity and the nudge of the Spirit to said, ask the men, who's ready to come out of the bushes? Who's ready to hear my voice and move towards me today instead of turn their back from me today? And about eight of you said, that's me today. With a couple more that emailed me throughout the day and said, I did not raise my hand, but I should have. So at some point this morning, you may say, I wasn't in on that last week, or I wasn't even here last week, but the reality is that's where I'm starting this week. If I had to describe what my relationship with God right now, it's I'm in the bushes. I'm not ruling. I'm not reigning. I'm not having dominion. I'm not enjoying the fruits of the garden. I'm not even taking care of it like I should because I'm off in the bushes of fear, shame, doubt, regret, addiction. I'm in the bushes. I had a breakfast this week with a buddy of mine I've not seen in a year. And I didn't know he lived in Austin anymore. Last I knew he had moved, but apparently he's moved back. So I got a text saying, Jay, can we catch up for breakfast? Sure. So we did. And I sat with this friend of mine, and he began to tell me what had happened and transpired since we last met. He said, Jay, I moved away. I lost my job. My wife and I divorced. It was official last week. I've lived on the couch with my dad, grown man. I don't know any idea really about profession anymore. I'm not sure what's in front of me. And quite frankly, I'm back to the point of questioning my faith. You got any ideas? That was a long breakfast. And in essence, the tone of that breakfast was yuck. Come on out. Come on out. Come on out and re-engage with the God that you've once engaged with. Come on out and let him tell you that he knows all about what happened this last year. He knows what you've experimented with. He understands what happened in the marriage. He knows about the job before you even knew that would happen. Come on out and let him cover you. And I pray that he will. See, we're in those bushes and God's going, I want you to come out. And that's where we left off last week's story. And that's where we're going to pick up this week's story. I call it the now what moment. Now what? On the other side of what I've done, now what do I do? You with me? On the other side of what I've done in my marriage... In my career, 
with my finances, with my sexuality, with my addiction. On the other side of doing that, now what do I do? And I want to spend a little bit of time this morning talking about what do you do on the other side of what you've already done? What do I do on the other side of what I've already done? I can't go back and change that. Now watch this. I had another lunch this week. And I mean, we both cried over the story that he told me about this last year for him. And I was saddened. And I, if, I, if I could, I wanted to just reach across the table and somehow tangibly show him how much God cared for him and tangibly draw him up to what God had for him. And we prayed and I asked for the Spirit to do what I could not do, and that was to call him out and call him up. But the part of the conversation that, that most frustrated me and most tripped me up and most made me angry that we do this, he says, I can't forgive myself for what I've done. And I said, oh, good news, my friend. The scripture never tells us that we're in charge of our own forgiveness. That might be what you just needed to hear this morning. We're not commanded to forgive ourselves. We're called out of the bushes to allow His forgiveness to be our covering. See, forgiveness is not something that we achieve, work for it, pray for it, hold out for it, be good for it, keep doing it, and eventually God's going to forgive you. It, forgiveness is not something we achieve. It's something we receive. Forgiveness is not something we achieve. You can't earn God's forgiveness. So if you're on the other side of what you've already done, the thing to do that we'll talk about this morning, the doing part now is to just come on out. Come on out and let God do what only God can do, and that's cover you. See, in the scriptures, in this lesson, it says, Genesis chapter 3, verse 20, says, Then the man, Adam, named his wife Eve, because she would be the mother of all living, and the Lord God made clothing from the animal skins for Adam and his wife, and God covered them. It does not mean that the infraction didn't happen. It just means that it's canceled. It does not mean that it wasn't painful. It just means that God used it on purpose. It's covered. You need to hear that. What do we do on the other side of what we've done? What do we do on the other side of what we've already done? I got a request from a friend of mine last fall that says, will you meet with, with a buddy of mine and share some time at the table with him? I said, sure, I'd be glad to. And so James and I met last fall at Panera, and we shared some time talking about James's story in his life. And without divulging the details, and I did ask James for permission to share some Without getting into the nuances of it, James was on the other side of already done. Are you with me? James was already crossed the bridge of been there, done that, shouldn't have. The reality is, as James was telling me that story at Panera, I thought, me too. Me too. You're not alone in this booth of on the other side of already done, shouldn't have done. Me too. What do we do now was the question. What do we do now on the other side of already done that? And in that moment, we began to see God heal James's heart and breathe some fresh hope and forgiveness and covering for some hurts that were deep and long into his spirit. James is a former worship leader at a church who now is in the tech industry and does not officially lead worship anywhere 
But in that moment, my friend said, Jay, we should bring James with us to Utah to lead worship at the retreat that we do. The Man Up Retreat in Utah every January. And I questioned my friend Bill. I said, is he ready? He goes, no, but I brought you a couple years ago and you weren't ready either. Oh, that's right. I was on the other side of doing what I had wished I hadn't done. And in that moment, God said, invite him to come. Because there's still things I want to do in James. Watch this, watch this. But there's things I still desire to do through James. I'm not done with James. Just like I'm not done with you. So James came to Utah with us. And we got there a day early to get things set up. And we were staying in a condo. And then they were off skiing, and I wanted to just get my mind around the lesson. And I said, James, can I give you my notes and just let you look at where we're going for the weekend so you'll have a better idea of kind of about what music and flavor. And will you just look at this with me? So I left him my notes while I went away to study. And a couple hours later, I came back to the condo, and here's what happened. James was sitting with his guitar in the corner, and he says, Jay, I took your notes and I just wrote a song. I'm like, well, how do you do that? He said, you, you, you want me to share it? You want me to play it for you? I'm like, sure. He goes, no, no, it's all right. No, it's fine. I'm like, okay. He goes, no, do you want me to share it? I'm like, I, I don't know. Apparently you want to share it. So why don't you share it? And directly out of this story and directly out of his story, God gave him the song that he's going to share with us right now. You ready for that? This is what it looks like to do good on the other side of already done. This is what it sounds like to do good on the other side of I've already done. May you be blessed by a song called Adam. Just a man made out of clay Didn't choose any parts or how it was made Face to face you fill my lungs And now my heart keeps going And now my heart keeps going Somehow my heart keeps going Till you say I'm done Redeeming the loss And years I was chained Blood of the Lamb Washing the stain Across and dry ground Being chased Somehow my heart keeps going Somehow my heart keeps going Somehow my heart keeps going Keeping the pace The cloud overhead in the day gives me shade A pillar of fire in the night leads away Songs of joy rising up Songs of the saved That's how our hearts keep going That's how our hearts keep going that's how our hearts keep going every day Until the whole earth is filled Until the whole earth is filled Until the whole earth is filled with glory of your name
That's how our hearts keep going. That's how our hearts keep going. That's how our hearts keep going. Every day. Until the whole earth is filled. 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 Until the whole earth is filled with the glory of your name. It is. Doing good sounds good, doesn't it? So my friend Bill was right. On the other side of already done, there's still something that God wants to do in us. And more importantly, there's something that he wants to do through us. So let that resonate with you this morning, that no matter what you've done, there is still the opportunity to keep doing good. I'm going to give you a couple ideas this morning to kind of wrap up and strategically send you out the door soon with this idea of what do I do now on the other side of already done. Let's pick back up at the beginning of this passage. Genesis chapter 3 verse 20. It says, the man Adam named his wife Eve because she would be the mother of all living. And it's so important that we don't miss this. God did not name the woman Eve. He named her Adam. Do you remember back when we studied, he says he blessed them and placed them in his image and likeness and called their name Adam? He did not give her the name Eve. But it's a beautiful name because in the scriptures, when someone's name is changed, it means that something is changed on the inside of them. And so while Adam used to refer to her as woman or not man, part of man, kind of like man, but not quite. You agree with that? Just one of you is risky enough to say, oh, yeah. <laughs> it's being recorded. Maybe bro said. Thank you very much. Not man, part of me, but not just like me. And on the other side of that, they had this massive fallout that also introduced evil to the world. Now a curse had been placed on Satan himself. And the promise in Genesis 3.15 that we studied last week was that through her offspring would come a Messiah that would crush the head of that serpent. And Adam did not miss the significance of that promise. He understood what it meant to be forgiven. He understood what it meant to move on past what you've done. Because right after receiving the curse of his life, which, by the way, has transferred to the curse of our life. Right after sinning in a, such a way that not only his family paid for it, but every family of the world would pay for that mistake. You thought yours was big. You thought you hurt a wide circle of people. This is on the other side of introducing evil to the world. And on the other side of what arguably is the most horrific, painful sin of all of us, the introduction of evil, somehow Adam understood that there was life on the other side of that. And he looked at the woman that had he called woman and renamed her mother of all life. He understood that there was a great comeback happening. He understood, without understanding all the theology of it, 
that we won't always be under this curse. And because of that, and because through her line will come the Messiah, I will give her the name Eve, the mother of all life. In faith, I will believe that what has not yet happened will happen. Hebrews. Faith is the hope for what is not seen or not here yet. But I believe that it will be seen and will be here. He called his wife Eve because he believed God. He believed that they truly were covered. He believed that although the curse brought death, he believed that God says, I can reverse the curse with my Messiah, and I will restore life again. And in that moment, he called her Eve as the way to believe God. You with me? What is it that God said to you that you're like, well, I'm just not sure I can believe that yet. I can still use you again? Well, I don't know. I can cover that mistake no matter how big it was? Well, maybe not. And I'm begging us this morning. Let's come on out and believe God. Let's believe that he's who he says he is and that he can do and will do what he said he would do. Let's come on out and call our wives Eve. The Lord God made clothing from the animal skins for Adam and his wife, and he covered them. So the first thing that to me I inferred out of this passage is what do we do on the other side of already done is do good. No matter what you've done. Gentlemen, I'm calling us and the men downtown today and the online listeners, I'm calling us to do good no matter what we've done. Unless your sin is greater than the introduction of evil to the world and the curse of every family since, unless it's greater than that, then if God covered his sin, watch this, can't he cover mine? If that infraction was coverable by the Messiah, then don't you think my little infraction is coverable? And yours is too. And it's time to re-engage. It's time to say, I know what I've done. God knows what I've done. My wife knows what I've done. And hell, everybody I know knows what I've done. But on the other side of that, God says, keep doing good no matter what you've done. Let that sink in. There's opportunity to be restored and covered and redeemed and replaced, repurposed, resent on the other side of that. Do good no matter what you've done. Romans chapter 5 verse 16, it says God's free gift leads to us being made right with God. That means that when we ignore God, that there's something wrong between us. But his gift is come on out and I, watch this, I will make things right with us. This is not something that you can earn. It's not something that I need you to do in order to get back in my graces. My face is right in front of you. Look at it. Receive it. Forgiveness is not something you achieve, it's something you receive. It's not something you achieve, it's something you receive. Here's the truth. It's time, gentlemen, you're like, you've already said this. I understand. I'm going to say it again. It's time for us to come out of the bushes with no defenses. It's time for us to put our hands up. And not give up ever doing good again, but give up letting what we've done keep us from doing good again. Give up the excuses and the shame and the fear and the blame. All those production things of sin, fear, shame, and blame. It's time to be done with that and move on to doing good no matter what you've done. Where are you most tempted to hide? Where are you most tempted to hide? What is it that God says? I've, I've heard stories this week, by the way. Word gets around. I've heard stories this week. In fact, I had a, a breakfast this week with a buddy of mine. He goes, I feel like, based on the story of Adam, that God is really calling me to surrender something in my life to him. I just don't know what it is. 
I know that God's calling me to surrender something to him, and I just don't know what it is. And because we're close friends, I looked at him in the face and thought, really? You don't know what it is? Could it possibly be the thing that's kind of always on you? He goes, oh, yeah, yeah, it could be that. I'm like, let's just go with that. Let's let that be done. Even if it's just like, let, let's just say, God, I want to I trust your graces and I want to trust your power enough to be done with that just for one day. Maybe I can't believe you enough for every day the rest of my life, but I'm going to come out and trust you for one day that we can be done with that. Are you with me? Does anybody else understand what I mean by that? So it's time to come out of the bushes with no defenses. Then God said, look, the man has become like us. Now watch this. You ever been riding in a car or more specifically on a boat with somebody and they just whipped that thing around and forgot to tell you they were about to whip it? And you end up like on the carpet with an AstroTurf burn? I'm about to whip to the left. Don't get burned. Here we go. This is a strange thing, but if we understand what's happening in this moment, I think we will be excited about what God was doing right here. He says this. God looked and he saw the man had become like us. They now know good and evil because they only knew good before. He goes, now they know evil. What if man reaches out and eats from the tree of life, which was eternal life, Remember, there was two unique trees. One was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and one was the tree of eternal life. He says, what if now that he knows evil, he eats of the second tree that makes him live eternally, watch this, stuck in the tension of knowing evil. It's as if God's going, listen, I created you to live eternally, but I never intended for you to know evil forever. And so in my graces, in my protection, in my love for you, I will not let you eat of that tree of eternal life now that you have evil in your life. And in God's graces and in his protection and in his great story of redemption, it says that he's put his angel at the front of the garden with a flaming sword lest they go back lest they get caught up in that for good. He says, I will now evict you from the garden and I will send you forth towards redemption and away from your failure. I will send you towards redemption and away from, you will not go back to the thing that caused you to fail. And I, in my graces and in my power, will actually put my spirit in between you and your greatest failure to push you towards redemption and not back towards your failure. You with me? How cool is that? That God is participating in our redemption by saying, I will put my very spirit between you and that season, that thing, and push you towards your redemption because I love you. I'm not going to let you go back. And don't we just kind of turn around and say, I, I want back in. He's like, no, you don't. Have you forgotten how painful it was? Did you forget the curse? And you're like, can I get back in? We like beg God to go back. He's going, I'm with all the mighty power of the angels. I'm trying to push you towards your redemption and away from your sin. That's how God is participating in your story right here this morning. You just thought it was about you. You thought it was just you or just your family or just your company. And God's going, no, ever since the beginning of time, I've been pushing men towards redemption and away from their failures. That's beautiful. I grew up thinking, honestly, that God was a, a little bit of a bully here. Like you mess up one time and he evicts them from the garden? How mean is that? That's kind of the, the rationale I had was the, there was a mean God who once you mess up one time punishes you by not letting you enter the garden again. And it was not punishment. It was protection. It 
wasn't punishment. It was his love and his protection. So, verse 23, So the Lord God sent Adam away from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. He sent them out to work the ground. Ultimately, he's like, listen, let's get back to the original command. Remember when God created Adam and he placed him in the garden and Eve was nowhere around yet? And he pulled man up out of the dust and had the first conversation ever between God and man one. And the first thing he said was, this garden is yours. I want you to work it, keep it, and name it. Watch this. This is coming full circle back to that moment where God's going, I realize what just happened. I realize the whole world just went to hell in a handbasket. I get it. I knew it was going to happen before you did it. I understand that. But I'm calling you back to the original command. Let's get back. Watch this. Let's get back to work. It's time, Adam, to do good. No matter what you've just done. Has that point been made this morning? Yes, it's time to do good no matter what you've done. The word sent actually means to release or to set free. How cool is that? He evicted them from their garden as a way to set them free from their greatest failure. You will not live in that. There is good still to be done, and I'm going to release you and send you and charge you to get back to work to doing the good that I made you do good no matter what you've done. Second idea is do good until you're done doing. Do good until you're done doing. Well, when are we done doing? When we're dead. This does not mean that we don't take a Sabbath. It does not mean that we work nonstop with no breaks. It does not mean that we blow past the first command of enjoying God. It means that in that cycle, in that rhythm of working, 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 resting, that Monday comes and we get back to work again. That there is a cycle of work and rest, and God says, and you should stay in that cycle until you're done doing. Stay in the cycle of being fully engaged until you're done doing. My dad came to visit last summer for vacation. My dad's 69, and he's been a pastor since before I was born. And I admire him. I respect him. I love him. I couldn't be, there's not another man in the world I'm more grateful for than my father. He taught me the scriptures. He introduced me to Jesus. He gave me a passion for serving and helping the kingdom. And he's been my greatest cheerleader along the way but somehow last summer the roles reversed just for a second and as dad sat on my couch I realized that it was now my turn to be his cheerleader and it was now my turn to be his pastor although he had been my pastor my whole life and in that strange moment it's as if the spirit said to me it's time for you to minister to your own dad in a way that he's ministered to you your whole life. I'm not sure what the circumstances were going on in his life, but it seemed like dad was a little discouraged in ministry. He loved his church. He loved his place. He, he loved the people of that place. But I could tell in his spirit that at 69, he was a little tired of doing good. And in that moment, we had this beautiful afternoon where I said, Dad, you're not done doing good. You're not done, Dad. And for the next couple days of his visit, I said, Dad, let's work on a 10-year vision of what God still wants you to do from the age of 69 to 79. And it's as if the Spirit says, Jay, speak into your father that he's not done serving the kingdom. I gave him a book called Halftime by Bob Buford. And it's kind of that idea of when I hit that halftime in my life and I feel like I'm not sure what to do next. You engage in the kingdom. You do meaningful work all the way to the end. And I gave him that book, and he sat out in my Adirondack chairs and devoured it like a ribeye. 
I mean, he had that thing highlighted in red by the time he left for the house. He went home and he started a young couple's class at his church on the other side of that. He went home and he said yes to go down to Brazil where my other brother is a missionary and has been for almost 20 years. And he said yes to an invite because they had someone back out at the last minute to train some pastors in Brazil. And he went down there and spent an entire week training young Brazilian pastors through a translator. And he was exhausted. He taught, I think, somewhere around 15 times in five days. I'll teach twice today and go to lunch and then want to go get in the bed. But to do that day after day after day after day after day and be 69. And then I later found out that he had lost a crown the day he was getting on the plane. And so he was in so much pain that he had to take some drastic painkillers. And he got up and taught the word every day to Brazilian pastors to encourage them to keep up the good work in Sao Paulo, Brazil. That's what it looks like to keep going until you're done doing. I got this email a couple weeks after he visited on that trip. And it says, Jonathan, this is from my dad. Dear Jay, thought you'd be encouraged with this note that I received from one of the Brazilian pastors. I told him about our halftime conversation and about your challenge to me. Thank you, and I love you. This is the email that got translated. It says, Pastor Huffman, not me, but him. I trust you had a great trip home, Pastor Huayo, however you say that, I don't know. The pastor with the silver hair in the back corner wanted to send the following note to your son, Jonathan. He asked me to translate what he had written, and here's what that pastor said in the back corner of the room. Jonathan Huffman. Y'all didn't know my name was Jonathan. You thought it was just Jay. Jonathan, I don't know you personally, but through your father, I've learned to admire you. You used several, he used several illustrations about you and your brothers, and we laughed a lot. But most of all, we were blessed by the example of your parents. We greatly needed that example and the willingness of people to motivate us in ministry. As he spoke, and he was moved with emotion by what you represent to him, I decided to write these few words to you. I'm a pastor of 20 years in the same church. I have two assistant pastors. They've helped me for the last four years. Yet I feel symptoms of exhaustion and discouragement in ministry every day. These days, I've been refreshed through the studies taught by Dr. Huffman. And I'm grateful to God that he could reach out and minister to us Brazilian pastors. I printed that off my phone yesterday, and in preparation for today, I was just reading it and enjoying the benefits of a 69-year-old pastor who's not done doing. He's not done doing, and I'm so glad that those are the footsteps that I get to walk behind. And if that's not your father, then your heavenly father says, I did my job all the way to the moment that I said, it's now finished. So maybe your dad didn't leave you that legacy, but your heavenly father did. And he says to us men this morning, do good no matter what you've done and do good until you're done doing. You with me? Here's the truth. In Revelation chapter 22, it tells us what it looks like on the other side of all of this story. It says, look, I'm coming soon. This is the Messiah. I'm coming soon, and I'm bringing my reward with me, and I will repay all the people according to their deeds. Watch this. No longer will there be a curse on anything. For the throne of God and the Lamb will be there. I'm not about to get into the eschatology of Revelation because mostly I don't understand it. If you've read it and you don't understand it, join me. But I understand this. When God says the beginning of this story started with very good and then was introduced a curse, but a Messiah came and the end of the story ends with the reverse and the elimination of the curse, I can understand that. And watch this. I can also look forward to that. 
My granddad didn't become a believer until he was in his early adulthood. Grew up in an alcoholic family and was himself an alcoholic already. And through some letters that my grandmother wrote him while he was on, on duty in the military in Germany, he received Christ from the letters that she kept sending him scriptures, and he received Jesus, and, and his entire life changed on the other side of that. And as a young boy, when my dad was pastoring and starting a brand new church in Albany, Georgia, the deep south, my grandparents packed up their stuff and moved to south Georgia, and my granddad became our worship leader at our church. And he was not even a musician. He was just passionate about the redemption of Jesus. He would have not made the cut for any praise team I know. And he sat up there every week and opened a hymnal and just sang his heart out and wept and said, I long for the day that Jesus restores and sets things right. When I was a kid, I used to think, I'm not sure that I'm longing for that day. I'm wanting to go to dinner this afternoon. I'd like to grow up and have a girlfriend. I'd like to get married and all that comes with that. And, he, and as I'm older, right, as I'm older, I get what it looks like to look forward to Jesus setting things right. Do good until you're done doing. Here's the truth. God has already finished the work that I'm actively doing. The work that I'm doing right now, God says, just so you'll know, Jay, it's already done. I'm inviting you into the doing, but we're already going to win. You've got to know that. On the days where the conversations get dark and they get deep and the emotions run high and the, the sin seems rampant, know this, we win. Know this, we win. The work that you're doing has already been won. And sometimes that's the only thing that keeps me engaged in the work. And I hope it does you as well. Last point. Chapter 4, verse 1. It says, now Adam knew his wife Eve. Knew means to have sex with her. So he had sex with his wife Eve. And she became pregnant. And then she gave birth to Cain. And she said these words. This is how we know that Eve believed God. She said these words. With the Lord's help, I have received a man. It actually technically means with the Lord's help, I have produced life. There's life on the other side of my mistake. There's life on the other side of my colossal failure. There is life still waiting for me. God is not waiting to judge me. He's waiting to give me life. And only with the Lord's help am I able to turn my back on what I did and move forward to what he's called me to still do. With the Lord's help, I've produced a life. So what the last point is to do good with the Lord's help. To do good with the Lord's help. To say, I can't say no to this. But with the Lord's help, we can. I cannot forgive them because what they did hurt too much. And God says, with my help, we can forgive them. I cannot bless them because they harmed me. God says, yeah, but with me, all things are possible. And while you don't have the capacity to still bless them after they hurt you, we have the capacity to do that. And with my help. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Maybe, maybe that's the missing piece that you've had this morning. You've white-knuckled it. You've tried to, as we talked last week with Eddie, you've tried to just take these things and put them down, squash them down, and God's going, no, for the first time ever, instead of just suppressing them and acting like they're not there, why don't you actually call them out and call them up? Give those things up to me and invite me into the journey of your victory and your restoration. Are you with me? Invite me into the story of your redemption. I got this email Actually, the text from my friend Karen, and I won't go into the whole story. Some of you know Karen. She, she works at a doctor's office that I used to chaplain at. And when I first met Karen, she had a lot of spiritual questions, but was not a believer in Jesus. A lot of pain and hurt from her family. 
and she sent me this text. Thank you, Jay. I'm so happy. I struggle the same with the same issues, but I now turn to Jesus for life, strength, for guidance, more and more every day. It's becoming my habit. It's becoming my life. I need to write my story. I love you, sir, so much. I baptized Karen last summer. And she says, Jay, my dad is homeless, refuses to be a part of the family, is addicted to all kinds of things. And I've grown up my entire life never feeling the love of a father. And today, for the first time in my life, when I came out of the baptism waters of Lake Travis, uh, like Austin, when I came out of those waters, I knew that I now had a dad that loved me. I've now finally met the dad who loves me. With the Lord's help, Karen doesn't look at what she's done, or nor does she look at what's been done to her. With the Lord's help, she goes on, and it's now become her everyday life. Are you with me? Three questions. Three questions. As you process this, and in the back of this, on the other side of every one of these lessons, I've queued up some questions, some prayers, some action steps. And one of these questions is just should fill you on a daily basis. What do I, based on these truths, what do I need to stop doing? What do I need to start doing? And what do I need to keep doing based on these truths? Let me pray for us, and then I've got about an eight-minute assignment for us. Lord, thank you for what you've done. No matter what we've done, no matter what's been done to us, thank you for what you've done. Thank you for what you're doing in us. And like James, thank you for what you are continuing to do through us. In the power of Jesus, we pray that. Amen.